0: This is The Intuitive Edge, episode 167. Today's guest is Jennifer Pogmore, pastry chef. It's not about the journey, it's about the destiny. Welcome to The Intuitive Edge. I'm Victoria Lynn Weston, your host. I'm an intuitive business consultant, entrepreneur, and founder of Studio Carlton, We're producers and developers of custom Amazon Alexa skills. If you want to keep ahead of the competition, consider expanding your brand, engaging your audience on Amazon Alexa. I love to embrace big, bold ideas and presenting unpredictable when it comes to my clients who want to keep ahead of the competition, gain recognition, and attract new business. After all, the future is here and it's all about voice. Check out StudioCarlton.com. Today's guest is a wonderful pastry chef, and she comes to the south of France by way of England. She was born and raised in England, but her mother was French, and she kind of wanted to explore her French roots. But I always like to say she's sort of living out her destiny, or at least part of a destiny, if, we, if it's true that we actually have one. She didn't get into studying being pastry chef until she was about 30, thereabouts, when she was basically working in marketing for a large company. After following classical training in French pastry at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris nearly 10 years ago, she gained the experience of working in Parisian pastry boutiques like Carl Marletti and Ernest and Valentin before returning to Le Cordon Bleu as a chef instructor. Here she developed her passion for teaching and then had the opportunity to instruct students from all over the world. Today, she works as a freelance pastry chef Based in the south of France, she also creates recipes, teaches classes and workshops, both online and in person, and she caters all types of events. Jennifer, it's a pleasure to have you here today. But let me ask you this, so what inspired you ultimately to pursue becoming a pastry chef?
1: So it was a, a few kind of different things that I didn't really even notice happening, but that just kind of all came together and I think just set me on the path that I am on today of becoming a pastry chef and to start with when I first moved to Paris I have I mean I've always loved food like my, my family will tell you I'm always the greedy one I've just always loved food always love going out to eat I love you know traveling always love trying new things and when I first moved to Paris my I just felt like my mind was absolutely blown walking around the streets and seeing the pastry shops the boutiques all of the beautiful desserts in the windows it was just for me it was just not the same kind of level of things that you would see in in England in the UK i mean the desserts are, are very different and even though i had grown up with my french family we we used to spend um a part of kind of every summer we would go over to see my french family uh we were we were always normally in france kind of in either we were in a village seeing my family or we were in you know kind of um, family resort places so i never had quite that exposure to you know as many you know tea rooms and palaces and restaurants and and bakeries and patisseries and all these different things so when i was you know, a, long, a young adult living in, in Paris, I just, I mean, I just, my favourite thing was, if I could, every day in the afternoon, I would walk around and, you know, find a new shop to try and go in and buy a dessert and then go and sit somewhere in a park somewhere in Paris and kind of discover more of the streets of Paris. And that was kind of the the starting point of me just just loving everything to do with that. And then I think at some point a little light bulb moment had gone on as well. You know, what if I started making it myself? And I had a couple of friends at the time who also really were quite interested in in baking. And I remember that um, three of us, we took a macaron class together. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, and that just kind of really inspired me from then on to, to be trying more things at home. And I remember making, you know, things... Constantly making things um, at home and then bringing them into work and then quite often making things with uh, with these couple of friends and trying out, you know, how do we make shoe pastry? How do we make this? How do we make that? And um, this just kind of went on whilst I was working in a completely non-food industry job in Paris. So when you decided to do this professionally, then where did you
0: decide to train to become a professional pastry chef?
1: So at the time I I had what I honestly call my mid 20s crisis. I was 25 years old, not very old, and I'd spent kind of four years working in marketing out of university. And I was really I was really just not happy with what I was doing and I wasn't sure should I change country, should I change city, should I change job? And I I remember just I uh, more than one time, I had looked at Le Cordon Bleu, the institute, the school in in Paris, and kind of dreamed of, wow, imagining, you know, going to to culinary school. Like, wouldn't that be that would be a dream? You know, that's that wouldn't even be something possible. And around about this time, when I I really just was wondering, what am I going to do with myself? I um I actually went to my work and told the HR department that I was quitting. And I remember going home that day and thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? And spending hours and hours on my computer looking at what I was going to do. And I fell again back kind of onto the, the site of Le Cordon Bleu. And I was looking at it more and more and thinking, wow, you know, I would just love to go and study here. But how am I going to kind of do this? Back to HR and said, look, I don't actually want to quit my job. What I'd really like to do is is go on a training course and in pastry and they said yeah that's absolutely fine so at that moment i was you know i really was very passionate about pastry i didn't know if i was any good i didn't know if this was going to be a career but i kind of felt the the security of knowing well okay at least i can try this and then come back to my job and and see where the future kind of goes so i was able to actually apply for for a grant for the rest of the training to be paid for. So I was able to return to the school and have like a portion of that training paid for me. And I also had kind of a lot of guidance with setting me on the path of you're changing your career now to, you know, to become a pastry chef, which was absolutely wonderful. So
0: what, what kind of led you to work at the Parisian boutiques, Carl, Marletti and, and Valentin?
1: So um once I had completed the the whole program at the Cordon Bleu um you actually were offered if you wanted to to do an internship at kind of your your place of choice I mean you could choose a a five star hotel for example you could choose a restaurant you could choose uh more of a shop like a boutique setting and because I'd already had this, you know, idea for so many years, if I'd love my own business, I was thinking, well, maybe now I'd like my own pastry shop. Um, I was really interested in kind of going down the route of getting experience in a boutique, a pastry boutique setting. And during my time at the Cordon Bleu and even prior, as I'd kind of mentioned earlier, I was often kind of going around Paris, checking out new pastry shops and Carmeletti shop, which is in the, the Latin Quarter, of um, Paris. It's in the 5th arrondissement. It it was really something that appealed to me, like I really loved his cakes. I loved the size of the shop. It was a very small shop. Um, and I didn't particularly want to work in a very industrial kind of setting. It was a really great experience. I mean, it was everything I kind of hoped for and a lot more in many ways, in good and bad. I mean, it was incredibly grueling hours it was very physical work I also worked over Christmas which can be a very very difficult kind of period for people to to work through but it gave me so much experience (laughs) a lot of baking and it gave me so what was great was I mean it gave me so much experience I mean six months there was more like two years in the real world because you're not working eight hour days you're working 18 hour days you know and and it was And it was great. It taught me it really taught me a lot of things. And and what was very interesting to me about this place was that it was a it was a bit of a smaller team and it was not particularly a a well-known place in Paris. Um, And what appealed to me was that I worked underneath the, the head chef and I was given a lot more kind of experience in terms of running things, talking to suppliers Um, You know, the day to day running and whenever the chef was on holiday, I would be kind of the head chef whilst he he wasn't there. So it was really an opportunity I was looking for to have a lot more responsibility and learn kind of even more behind all the scenes of the inner workings of how to really run uh, a pastry shop.
0: What was the first thing that you were able to make? Like, was it a French macaron or was it uh, a croissant or what's the first thing they told you to do? Did they just give you orders in the morning and say, we want five dozen of of chocolate croissants and we want a hundred, you know, French (laughs) macarons and we want it done by two
1: o'clock? So, I mean, generally when you're starting a new kind of job in the pastry or cuisine world, and depending on your level of skill, um, you would kind of be set about doing tasks and you know you will work with the chef and you can either say for example like yes I know how to make this or could you show me how to make this and you know etc. So when you arrive in the morning the first few hours are dedicated to putting the desserts together that will go into the shop window and this is normally by whichever time, 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m. when they open. And then everything that you work on doing after that time is what we call mise en place, which kind of means preparation. So and the boutique will tell you, for example, we want 10 of this today, 20 of this, 15 of this. And they'll kind of give you a list. And You come in the morning and you prepare all of those things. And then if they run out in the day, they might come at midday, for example, and say, well, we need 10 more chocolate eclairs. And you say, like, yes, it is possible or it's not possible, et cetera. And that's generally how it works. Oh, wow. So it's it's very fun.
0: (laughs) It's very fun. Yeah, I mean, So so during the course of, you know, growing up and working a a marketing position, which, again, is part of, I guess the, the hand that God sort of gave you, you know, you know, marketing, yeah. you know, writing, yeah. and now, you know, all this pastry stuff. So how do you think your intuition sort of guided you during this process? And, and how does your
1: intuition speak to you? In terms sort of intuition, I think I just, I certainly, when I started out, I had a kind of plan in my head of, um, you know, I I kind of want to achieve this and I want to achieve so many you know, so many years of experience in pastry, and I want to do this and that. And I think my intuition kind of always led me towards a, an entrepreneurial, I would say, path in the sense that even when I started out, I really wanted to work for myself and really wanted to work freelance, but I knew that I needed to work in those places that I needed to get that experience before I could work for myself. And Kind of once I'd had those experiences in those pastry boutiques, I I saw that there was an opportunity in the school that I had learned at. They were actually moving to a different location and looking for a new team. And at that time, I thought, well, you know, I've got a little bit of experience here and I would love to kind of go into the more of the education, the teaching side of things. And I kind of let my intuition in that sense guide me to be like yes that's a good thing you know to go and do rather than stay in the classic kind of working in a shop or working in a restaurant or or whatever um, kind of journey and once I got to the school and I spent nearly three years working there it was just it that was it was fantastic It was really the experience and the opportunity that I needed and I wanted and that once I had kind of decided that It was time for me to leave Paris and I wanted to kind of live somewhere else and actually start becoming a freelancer and working, you know, for myself and on my own projects. That was really the experience, I think, that allowed me to do that. And then I guess, well, I hope that's answered your question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so I guess in other words, listening to you, I, I sense your intuition speaks to you more as a feeling. And, um, and, and so, you're yeah, I sort of so. led by this feeling, maybe even a bit of a, a gut instinct in that, but I'm wondering also if you ever get like visions in your mind's eye, you know, and like, like, like even when you're creating something and I have a couple of questions on that, but yeah. when you're creating it like a, a petty gateau, do you get this, you know, a clairvoyant vision as we would say, you know, cause that's part of ESP, extrasensory perception, or do you just get, you know, just sort of. Allow yourself to just be led by your intuition.
1: No, I think I I can be quite a daydreamer in I can quite visualize in my mind what I'm looking for or aiming to do, and then I can see how something or a situation could apply to that. So, tell us, how do you make the perfect pastry cream to fill
0: shoe pastries? And shoe pastries basically are like what we call in the United States, like a, a puff. A cream puff type of pastry
1: pastry cream it really depends on the result you're looking for I mean a pastry cream is generally a milk base some people might put cream in and then you are mixing that with eggs or egg yolks or a combination of egg or egg yolk and then when it's a pastry cream you're you're going to have sugar as well but you're going to be have have a kind of thickening agent like a starch so it's going to be cornstarch or it can be flour or all these different things and you're effectively making a cooked custard but It really depends on is your pastry cream just pastry cream or is your pastry cream going to be turned into like a mousseline cream, for example, which is uh, butter (laughs) whipped into your pastry cream? Or is it going to be made into a lightened cream, a crème légère, where you're going to fold whipped cream into it? Or are you going to put chocolate in your pastry cream? You're going to, you know, add different things that will change the texture and the density of what you want. Do you want something lighter if you want it to be? heavier and more compact you're going to use more egg yolks than egg for example do you have a favorite pastry cream um not necessarily one because again as i say it depends on what i'm using that pastry cream for um but a lot of kind of the cream based recipes that i really like using they come from my internship particularly because i worked a lot with shoe pastry at that time and i really really liked a lot of the the different kind of creams, pastry cream, crema type recipes that we we did there and developed were really really good.
0: Very good. Okay, let's pretend I'm I'm am I'm a customer and I come sure. to you and I want I want mini ghettos to serve for my wedding reception. Tell me yes, what true. the process is going to be. Do you first start like is it an, is it an intuitive process? Do you sketch out drawings in any way? You know, I mean intuition yes. and creativity are like kissing cousins. You can't have one yes. without the other. So, how do you how do you do it?
1: So, for example, you come to me and you're a client who's interested in something for a wedding. What I would normally do, depending on whether we can meet in person or we would do a video call or a phone call, is really just to understand different aspects of what the person is looking for, but also the more practical side of things, the logistics, you know, would would it be one evening? What access is there to a kitchen? Um, you know, is it a hot country or is it, you know, a hot time of year?
0: Let's assume that all the logistics are fine. We just want you to create a petty ghetto and maybe, you know, they're leaving it all up to you. I just, you know,
1: just, what would you, what would you create? Well, what does that person like, you know, does that person like um, chocolate things? They like fruit things. Am I going to make a lemon cake? And actually they quite like chocolates. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Or, I do think sometimes it is nice to have a few ideas that then you can kind of run away with your creative side with.
0: Um, what I know about Petit Gâteaux, which isn't that much, but um, <laughs> do you – I mean, I, I see a lot of, like, chocolate kind of stuff, but what I notice the most about it is it seems to be a lot of, like, cakes surrounded by mousse, some other kind of frozen thing, and then dipped in a, a ganache of some type. Okay,
1: so when, you, when you're when you talking about a, a Petit Gâteau – that literally just translates a small cake. Uh-huh. So I'm guessing you're talking about kind of an individual dessert, and what we would call in France is an entremet. So an, entre- an entremet is so an entremet can be individual, or it can be any size. Could be you know four person, six person, eight person, ten person, twenty person entremet, or individual. And an entremet today is is something that is basically a composed dessert so there'll probably be a sponge layer there'll be um you know an insert that could be like a jelly or a gel or a cream or something and then there'll be mousse and then it will be either glazed or it will be sprayed with a layer of chocolate velour normally to finish it that is that is kind of what um what i see as ghetto Yeah
0: pretty interesting anyway so what are your favorite flavor combinations
1: what are my favorite flavor combinations
0: do you ever take risk i mean being an entrepreneur is all about taking your risk so as a pastry chef in that do you ever take risk and do something very unique as far as a flavor combination
1: i i personally love working always with seasonal fruits um chocolate of course because you know who doesn't love chocolate but particularly with nuts things like uh hazelnut praline um, I do really like working with vanilla. I mean, it's all very kind of classic, you know, um, classic basic flavors, but, but no, I think it's what, it's what you do with it. And sometimes, you know, sometimes simple is best. I mean, I can enjoy just as much having, you know, a very simple Madeleine cake that beautifully baked and just fresh out of the oven as much as I might enjoy a really kind of intricate entremet, you know, putty ghetto with 10 different elements in it. You know, it also depends on what occasion is it for? What is the mood, you know, what sure. so many things. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your favorite dessert? So I have a lot of desserts that I love, but I would say probably my what I often say is my favorite, and when I think about it, it is my favorite. It is Black Forest cake. Oh. So in, in French, that's foie noir, which technically does not come from France. I mean, it comes from the Black Forest in Germany. But France, for many years, have taken that cake and kind of made it a classic French dessert. And it's something that's really often reinterpreted. It's not always the classic kind of chocolate sponge cake. With whipped cream and cherries that you would get in the Black Forest. You know, it's quite often turned into a, uh, an entremet in France. So maybe there's like a chocolate mousse component. Maybe, you know, visually they've used a cake mold that's a bit different, and there's all different things you can do with it. But for me, just a combination of chocolate, whipped cream, and cherries, there's almost nothing better.
0: Oh, it does sound good. Anyway, you recently launched Zoom pastry classes, which I got to take one yes, class on French macarons. And yes. you also teach about tarts and apple cakes. So I invite anybody out there that really wants to dive in and become a home pastry chef that you sort of check out Jennifer's uh, Zoom classes because they're fun and you're very detailed and you're a great presenter Thank with you. that. So what inspired you to launch virtual classes?
1: So for... For a long time I'd wanted to um, be giving classes in person and the place that I lived in Paris it wasn't particularly possible to do that so once I'd moved and left Paris and moved kind of to the south I was I'd really kind of wanted to and it just took me a little bit of time to to get round to it. <laughs> um, last year was actually a a bit of a particular year for me for health reasons. I didn't work for most of the year. Um, I was actually, unfortunately, diagnosed with breast cancer in January of last year. And so I spent several months kind of going through treatment and wasn't really able to, to work on my career in that time, but was always at the back of my mind of, well, you know, I want to get to making a website and start offering these classes and really get out there and get teaching and so I managed to to launch that at the end of last year which was fantastic and and it's been really fun you know it's been really great um, meeting people kind of from all over the world and and really being able to to teach people that I absolutely love doing to make kind of these what I think are absolutely wonderful um, desserts you know these French desserts very accessible to someone who is just in their kitchen at home and not in a professional kitchen.
0: Right. So it's really remarkable and admirable for someone that's going through breast cancer. So during your downtime, you were sort of visualizing, if you will, these classes and online. Yes. And sort of moving forward with your life, which, you know, was... I guess a very instrumental part of the whole healing process for you, which you know is, is, is extraordinary to be to remain positive during that and to do something you've never really done before, and considering all the elements at the time with the pandemic that everybody was dealing with yes. on a global level. So, you know, it's it's really commendable for you. I took your your French macaron class, and like I can yes. say a few minutes ago that it was really uh, well presented. But I've been doing the Italian method for years because mm-hmm. I started out trying you know, the French and the Swiss. Yes. But I am curious just because I think it's interesting, everybody's got their preference. So why do you prefer the Swiss method over the Italian method for French macarons? So
1: for me the reason why I chose to present the Swiss method for these online classes is because I I do prefer the Italian and the Swiss method to the French for making macarons. But I think that the Swiss method is a little bit more accessible to people, right? Because um, it can I, be
0: scary doing the the, boiling, it can, it the can be sugar, because it does
1: get pretty hot. So people, it can be scary, and I have taught, I have taught. I mean, at Call on blood, I cannot even count the amount of times I taught macaron classes to people who had never made macarons before. And there's a difference when you are in person, and I'm there, for example, and. Yes, you're making like a hot sugar syrup that has to be heated to a certain temperature, and you're pouring it over your egg whites, and things can go wrong. And it also requires it equipment. It can go wrong real quickly, real fast with yeah, making a it French macaron because absolutely. there's a lot of things. <laughs> no, absolutely, and don't and don't forget you you also need a digital thermometer. Whereas when you're making a Swiss. A Swiss meringue is also a useful base for other things. A lot of people might have, for example, already made a Swiss meringue buttercream, you know, and it's, for me, it still gives really fantastic results, but it's a little bit, you know, easier, a little bit more accessible and, you know, for a lot of people who have never made macarons before, which is the majority of, of people who've been doing classes with me afterwards, for example, maybe when they've got that confidence um, because there's a lot of other things to know about macarons, you know, like how to bake them, how to mix them, your, your ingredients that you're using. And once they have more confidence, then maybe they can try themselves. Well, you know, I would actually like to buy a thermometer and I'll try the Italian method and I will see what works for me. Yeah. Um, but so that was that was a choice that I wanted that to be you know, a more accessible thing to people. And and so far, yeah, everybody has, has very much enjoyed that. Yeah, thank you. So what is the best method to temper chocolate? My personal preferred method, it, it it depends on what the weather is that day. I have a really incredibly hot kitchen in in summer, so tempering chocolate can be quite difficult. But I really, I mean, I like all methods. I do like to... To do the what we call the tablage, which is where you you spread it out, um, you know, on on your work surface, and you cool down a portion of your chocolate. Um, I just like that because it's I find that quite fun and it's quite you know physical. Um, but some people might find it easier to do melt their chocolate and then have it over kind of a cold water bath to cool it down, put it back onto a hot water bath. And these days, one of the best results that you can get is by um, using cocoa, cocoa butter silk.
0: Right. So the average, but the average consumer at home is going to be tempering, you know, what, maybe eight ounces or something to that effect, like to to dip strawberries in. Sure. So I think that the ones that I have learned about, uh, they could temper chocolate in a microwave. And, um, mm-hmm. and depending on what, you are tempering, you know, dark chocolate, white chocolate, milk chocolate. It depends on on the degrees, I guess, or the length of time for that. If you, I've done it over a, um, I guess they call it a, a Bain bath. Is that what they call it? it a
1: Bain a Marie. A yeah, yes, Bain Marie. So you got yeah. that.
0: As long as no steam comes out, because God forbid if yes. the steam comes out, the whole thing goes. You know, it won't happen. And then, and then you cool that down a little bit, and then you add the yes. remainder, one fourth of chocolate. So if you've got a hundred grams of chocolate, hypothetically, you take your, you know, eighty grams, you put that over your bain uh, bath, and then you cool it down. You add the remainder, put it back, and warm it back up to another
1: certain degree. So yeah, so that that that's what we call the seeding method. So I, I think the most accessible to people at home really is the method that you described, where you melt a portion of chocolate and then you put. Um, you know, a certain amount that is just the chocolate that you've bought into that melted bit. And that melted bit will melt the unmelted chocolate. And that unmelted chocolate, which is tempered, will actually start the chain reaction in the cocoa butter Mm -hmm. of setting the cocoa butter crystals to the right um, temperature.
0: Very good. Are there any pastry chefs that you admire or take inspiration from, like Pierre Himei?
1: Yes, many many pastry chefs, and certainly with social media these days. I mean, I follow many different people on on social media, and it's nice to have that access to to different people. And yeah, I mean, I admire many many people far and wide. Um, Pierre Hermé, yes, I do admire Pierre Hermé. And... Well,
0: he's really good at his marketing. You talk about your own background in marketing and that. And I love his uh, packaging and, um, I
1: think yes, yes, great no, yeah. I mean, he's, he's obviously been in the, the pastry world for so many, many years. So he, he knows what he's doing and he is third or fourth generation, um, pastry chef, I think in his family.
0: Well, I see, you know, being the intuitive person that I am, I can see you branching out with some of your own products and that. And, of course, it's easy to say you come out with some vanilla or spices and that, but I see things more wearable with you, like maybe a really interesting uh, table napkins, um, you know, out of linen and a certain design or certain, you know, emblem, you know, logo maybe that you come up with in the next year or so. And I could see you putting, you know, some things like that um, out there. And
1: Sure, but who who knows? I mean, I... I've never particularly thought about doing products as such, um, but I I would say that I would, you know, and that that is a dream of mine one day is to do uh, a cookbook or a recipe book, um, maybe even something mixed with photography. So that is certainly would be something I would like, let's say, in the next five years to be working on or be working
0: towards. Here's the one thing I would say about doing, you know, the cookbook because everybody does a cookbook and today things are a lot different than that. I would probably want to style your cookbook similar to like maybe a coffee table book because you're so good with the photography part of it and I would probably pepper it with your own personal stories and your journey and that makes it a little more interesting and then the recipes sort of end up being part of a gift, you know, um, within the book. So it's it's a journey, it's a bio, it's photography. Yes. You know, it comes out of you that ends up being a little um, unpredictable. What hasn't yet been done is where I see you headed over the next couple of years with, with some of your work.
1: Oh, thank you. And and we will see. <laughs> we will see what the future holds. <laughs> what's yes. What's the
0: one thing we will find in your refrigerator at all times?
1: <laughs> um, you will always find vanilla in my refrigerator.
0: Oh, you keep it vanilla out in pods. the
1: refrigerator. Yes.
0: And why is that? I keep mine in the pantry, like probably everybody else in the U.S.
1: Well, I mean, where where I am, it gets incredibly hot in the summer, and oh, it's wow. better um, it's better to to keep it in a kind of cool in a cool place in the fridge. But yes, there will always be vanilla.
0: Very good. Anyway, so for anybody that wants to learn more about you and especially your online classes, they should visit. JenniferPogmore.com, and I'll have that in the uh, links when I get the podcast published. As well, I encourage everybody to follow Jennifer Pogmore on Instagram, where you can really sort of take in all her posts and uh, look at all the visuals of what she creates in that. And I think she's, you know, I think you are a step aside from a lot of other pastry chefs because everybody's different. You know, everybody's Thank got a yeah, photographs. And I think it's fun if you're a home pastry chef or just starting or always wanting to learn something new, it's always fun to see, you Know, who's out there doing what and what you can learn and ultimately, you know, get inspiration from it as well. So, absolutely. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I appreciate you taking the time. We'll talk again.
1: Perfect. Oh, well, thank you so much, Victoria. And, and thank you for the podcast. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for
0: tuning in today for a conversation with French pastry chef Jennifer Pogmore. Be sure to check out her work on jenniferpogmore.com and when you're ready to expand your brand gain some recognition and compete on a voice platform such as amazon alexa check out studio carlton we have done some awesome work and we can do some extraordinary work for you until next time enjoy the day